Incarcerated lives matter. You can't just forget about us. Women matter. Black women matter. You have to see how you're treating us and how it's affecting our communities because it's not just one person that you're handing down a sentence to. Elaine Daly, who goes by the name Sister Eli, is a social worker in New York City. She's also a mother, a formerly incarcerated woman, and an activist fighting for criminal justice reform. I met Sister Eli through Zahra Rasool, one of my colleagues at Al Jazeera. I'm currently the head of Al Jazeera Contrast, which is Al Jazeera Digital's in-house storytelling and innovation studio. So essentially, I look at new and emerging technologies and how we can use that to do more innovative storytelling and journalism. Zahra and Sister Eli work together on an augmented reality and virtual reality project called Still Here. It looks at incarceration and gentrification in the United States. This is a hot topic in the U.S. right now. It's come up as part of the widespread protests against racism and police brutality. This is all part of a cycle. Black and Latino communities are targeted by police, face higher incarceration rates as a result, and then come back to their neighborhoods years later to find that rent is more expensive. Starbucks and Sweetgreen have replaced the local mom-and-pop shops, and it's a struggle to survive financially day-to-day. I sat down with Zahra and Sister Eli in a Zoom call together to talk about how the fictional story they wrote and filmed for Al Jazeera in virtual reality is rooted in actual reality and what they hope the world takes away from their work. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. Sister Eli, I want to start this conversation with you. Still Here tells the story of a woman who has spent some years in prison, and she's now reuniting with her family in New York City. She's trying to figure out how to construct this new life with the stigma of having spent time behind bars. You had a personal experience that relates to this. Can you tell me a little bit about your story? So I fortunately only had to spend four days in prison and one night in jail because I was bailed out, but I wouldn't wish that on anybody. Sister Eli was arrested in February 2014 for hindering prosecution a crime that can include providing food and shelter to a suspect. In her case, the suspect was her partner, and it was a felony. She says neither she nor he even knew the police were looking for him at the time. It was the most horrific time, and the collateral consequences that followed, I'm still dealing with. I had to wait three years for trial, and then I took a plea deal, so now I have a felony conviction, which is impacting my ability to find employment, my ability to find housing, which impacts my daughter's ability to get enrolled in school, which impacts my ability to take care of my child. And, you know, one of the things that really struck me when you told us about your story was you were pregnant when you were in jail, in prison. Mm -hmm. That was Zahra again. 
So, yeah, I was seven months pregnant. I also suffer from depression and anxiety. I was not on my medication. My family did not know where I was at for those four days. I did not get my phone call to call them to let them know where I was at. So to say the least, I was anxious about my well-being and my child's well-being. It took them four days to see me and confirm that I was pregnant because without having that confirmation, even though I told them when they shackled me, they shackled my hands and my feet. So if I was to stumble, there was no catching myself to protect myself from falling and hurting myself or my child. And if you're pregnant, you're granted double meals. You get two of the same breakfast, two of the same lunch, two of the same dinner. But they were giving only three meals. There was no snacks. I was starving. I literally felt like I was starving for four days because they just didn't take my word for anything. What's so interesting is that so many of the things that you are detailing come up in this project still here. So Zahra, you have described this project as one that deals with themes of incarceration, of gentrification. What was your aim with centering those themes? You know, what Sister Eli was mentioning is her personal story. But I think what really struck me when we were researching mass incarceration was the number of women that are actually affected by it. And the statistics are overwhelming. Nearly 30% of all incarcerated women worldwide are in the United States. In the United States, nearly 10,000 babies are born to mothers behind bars each year. The majority are immediately sent to live in foster care or with relatives. The number of women in U.S. prisons has risen more than 700% in the last 40 years. Women are the fastest growing incarcerated population in the U.S. This affects so many people. And when we were wanting to do the story of Still Here, we wanted to be able to center the experience of women because usually women are the ones that are often left out of this discourse, and especially Black women. And so it became really important for us to be able to tell it from the perspective of the one that was the most marginalized. Zahra's team decided to tell this story through a composite character they created named Jasmine Smith. I think initially we decided, yes, it would be really powerful to follow one person's real story. But as we started talking to so many of these women, they had very similar stories. And in order to capture all of their struggles and challenges, we thought it would just be so much more powerful if we created a character based on all of their lived experiences. So we could capture all of their different realities. Still Here follows the character Jasmine as she returns to her grandmother's home in New York City after 15 years in prison. The story takes place in three parts. An augmented reality portion where viewers quite literally walk in Jasmine's shoes as she explores her gentrified neighborhood. The experience involves holding an iPad that shows you the city streets, shops, and cafes, and you hear Jasmine reacting to it all. Where is he? Is this home anymore? I don't even recognize Harlem. Everybody's gone. All the stores are gone. It's like, it's like there's no place for me here. Then there's the virtual reality portion with a VR headset that takes the viewer through Jasmine's drive home from prison and her first few days back in her grandmother's house. 
You watch her relive parts of her time behind bars and adjust to life under probation. Somebody told me that you could have your resume downloaded on a smartphone, and I don't even know how to use those. And lastly, there's a photo exhibit dedicated to the nine formerly incarcerated women whose stories informed Jasmine's. Sister Eli is one of them. I think the two powerful scenes that resonated with me was when Jasmine gave birth and her baby was taken away from her. That was very much a fear of mine. And then also coming home and having to deal with community supervision and basically being talked down to and told, just get a job, just do something. You have to fight for yourself. There's no one fighting for you. Here's the scene Sister Eli is talking about. You find work yet? I just got home. You have to work 35 hours. Otherwise, you won't be eligible for assistance. How is that possible if I have to see you once every week instead of once every two weeks ordered? Your office is mad far. It's going to take me hours to get to you on the train. Well, you don't have a choice. And now, here's the backstory for that scene. After her case had been tied up in the courts for three years, Sister Eli took a plea deal. She just wanted to move forward with her life. She didn't admit guilt, but did agree to a felony conviction and three years on probation. Her daughter was a toddler at that time. This is basically so I could stay at home with my my daughter and raise her myself. And the first thing they do is literally the next day I had to report into probation. Sister Eli says meetings with her probation officer conflicted with school and work responsibilities. But probation also required that she keep up with classes or hold down a job. She says it was impossible to do it all, especially with a young child. There's another scene in the film that was inspired by an experience Sister Eli had. It's a conversation between Jasmine and her probation officer. You need to smile. Be nice. Wear a dress skirt or something. Try to look less intimidating. I could go to the mall in the Palisades to get better clothes. I need three months notice if you want to leave the five boroughs. It's the policy. Can I get that in writing? (laughs) so for me the palisades mall is the closest thing to a getaway i have a driver's license i have a car i have a small child and in the palisades mall you have what chuck e cheese you have arizona you have shopping you have eating you have a movie theater but it's outside of the five boroughs thinking that on a Friday or a Saturday that you're going to take your child just to hang out somewhere where there's parking now became a three-month-in-advance plan that you had to submit. Or it's time to go shopping for school and you can't just go and say, I'm going school shopping for your children. You have to know the exact date to put in to go. And it was a little bit heartbreaking because my brother lives in Jersey, so that's like our center point to meet. And it was always like, well, why can't I go see my cousin? So it created a rift of trying to remain in contact with family and strengthen family bonds. Really, jail, prison, community supervision, it breaks down the family because they don't want you in contact 
with anyone that has a criminal history or the traveling to see family, it just becomes a burden. And unfortunately, there's many families where you're going to have many relatives that have some sort of criminal um, justice impact attached to their name. And I also remember when you were supposed to come to Sundance for the premiere. Zahra is referring to the prestigious Sundance Film Festival in the U.S. state of Utah, where Still Here was featured earlier this year. We didn't know up until the last day that you were going to be able to come because your approval from probation had it come through. And it was so incredibly stressful for you, you know, for the entire group. And, you know, that really showed us firsthand how probation impacts you. Right. And that was something where I gave them the three-month notice and they still waited the day before to say, okay, you can go. Kept saying, oh, we think you could go, but we didn't get the paperwork yet. So how do you plan a life around that? When did you book tickets? How do you, (laughs) you just kind of waiting with bated breath the whole time? Um, They just booked the tickets. They said, just let us book the tickets and work it out because probation was asking, what flight are you going to be on? Well, I can't say I'm going to be on a flight if I don't book it because I might sell out. Well, what hotel are you going to be at? Um, Who are you traveling with? And I'm like, you're asking, you know, if it was just me and my daughter, that's one thing and sort of maybe, but I'm traveling with a whole team now. So it was, um, (laughs) it was a lot of anxiety on my part. Sister Eli, were you ever worried about taking part in this project and being a part of Still Here, how it might affect your life? Yes and no. Um, I'm a very anxious person in general, just like everything has to be written out, planned. So I was like, oh my gosh, if I do this, what is going to happen to me? What is going to happen to my child? Is probation going to freak out? We sort of gave them a synopsis of what Still Here was about. So like on paper, it looked great, but I was like, when they actually see this film, am I? going to be violated for something that they didn't want to, you know, be told the truth. Um, But in the end, I'm like, this is my little um, protest to the system. When we talk about putting stories about the effect of the criminal justice system or criminal injustice system, as you've called it, into an art form, Zahra, what are the things that you have to think about when going about that? For me, for somebody who is not born and raised in the U.S., I don't know anybody who has been personally impacted by this situation. Anybody from my family, I have not been impacted by it. So in order for me to be able to tell the story effectively, I have to be able to collaborate with people who know more than me and can hold me and my team accountable to making sure we are telling it authentically and truthfully. And for that reason, you know, the way we chose to do it is to collaborate with nine of these women from Women's Prison Association. The co-creator of this project, Sarah Springer, is a Black woman from America. The writers on the project, Naima Ramos Champman, she's directly impacted by the issue as well. Her father was incarcerated for over 15 years. Carvel Wallace, who wrote the audio and augmented reality script, has worked with incarcerated youth for over 15 years at a nonprofit organization. So, you know, we made sure that everybody who was working on this project could tell the story in a way that, you know, brought it authenticity and could hold us as journalists accountable to what we were telling. 
As Zahra is saying, the diversity of the team behind Still Here was very much intentional. And that's a difficult thing, given the usual demographics of creatives who produce augmented and virtual reality projects. Most people don't have VR headsets. Even fewer know how to make VR films. Most of the storytellers that are telling these stories are usually white men who have access to these tools because these stories are also really expensive to create. And so what we did is in the production of this entire piece, we've trained and educated a lot of other creators of color to be able to use these technologies. And so the entire creative team behind this project, uh, they're all black. You know, a lot of the people who are working on it were using these techniques and tools of production for the first time. And so we spend a lot of time, actually months on the back end, just on training and familiarizing with them on how this entire process works with the hopes of like creating a new generation of storytellers that are different than the ones that exist. What do you want international audiences to understand and take away from this? I think regardless of where you live, I think you will find that every country has a system of incarceration that treats the most vulnerable unjustly. And whichever group that is in your country, I think this story will hold some truths to their lives and their experiences. I mean, I think internationally, the United States are not held accountable for the injustices in their society. And I think incarceration is one of the big things. The United States of America is now the number one incarcerator of human beings in the world. We have more people locked up than China. China, who has a billion people, they got fewer prisoners than we do. African Americans are five times more likely than white Americans to be incarcerated. Almost two and a half million prisoners are currently behind bars. And the injustices behind the walls are not recorded. They're not on WhatsApp or um, FaceTime or Facebook Live to be presented to the world so that people could be angered and have protest. The world needs to know this is how government are treating their citizens. So very last question. How can people watch this or experience this? How can they be part of this experience? You know, actually, we were supposed to showcase Still Here at quite a few more festivals and venues this year across the U.S. and internationally. But then the pandemic happened. And so things have kind of been at a standstill for now, which is why in March we made the decision that we wanted to make the entire project public. And so the links to Still Here are all available on our website, ajcontrast.com slash stillhere. You can download the VR experience on a headset if you own one. You can download the app to watch the augmented reality experience on your iPad Pro if you have an iPad Pro. You can watch the photo exhibit online on the website. If you don't have a headset or an iPad Pro, we've actually even recorded video walkthroughs of the VR experience and the AR experience. It's just linear videos, and you can watch that on the website as well. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Priyanka Tilvey with Dina Kisve, Alexandra Locke, Amy Walters, Ney Alvarez, Abigail Oni Wohacha, and me, Malika Bilal. 
Natalia Aldana is our team's engagement producer. Alex Roldan is our sound engineer. Stacey Samuel is The Take's executive producer. And Graylin Brashear is Al Jazeera's head of audio. Special thanks to Maria Fernanda Lorette. We'll be back.